This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now today we've got a very exciting guest on the show, Wayne Healy, the Managing Director and CEO of Peninsula Energy. Now the code on the ASX is P-E-N.ASX and I actually pitched it on our order pad back in May, the 19th of May actually, and the price is around 15 cents. You did in fact, and it was one of your small cap growth stock ideas. What a shocker there. <laughs> Now, as we record this episode today and our conversation with Wayne, the share price of Penn is trading around 18 cents. So we're already up in small profits. Good to see. And what you'll hear in this conversation is Peninsula Energy is really the next major US uranium producer in the market. So we're very excited to delve deeper into the company and the financials with Wayne. Before we do that, a bit of background first. Now, he calls himself a uranium tragic. That's because he is an expert. So Wayne has over 35 years experience in the mining industry sector. Prior to joining Peninsula, he most recently served as the president and chief executive officer of UR Energy Inc., which he successfully oversaw the design, construction, commissioning and ramp up of the Lost Creek in situ uranium project in his home state, Wyoming. US. Wayne definitely has a lot of experience in the uranium mining industry and you'll hear that even more so throughout this episode. He also holds a Bachelor of Science in Metallurgical Engineering from Michigan Technological University and is a past president of the Uranium Producers of America. He actually learned how to extract metals from minerals. It's actually his specialty. So with that, let's get into our conversation. Before we do so, however, a quick reminder, guys, that our chat today is not considered personal advice even though we are registered financial advisors at Shore and Partners. As always, please note that the podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. Everything discussed in this episode is based on facts known at the time of recording being the 20th of June. It's actually my mother's birthday today, Felicity. Oh, is it? How exciting. Happy birthday, Sandy. So thank you so much, Wayne, for coming on Talk Money to Me to discuss Peninsula Energy. It's great to be joining you uh, and I can't wait to discuss uranium and nuclear with you. I know it's such an exciting and hot topic at the moment. So I think the first question is, can you tell us why you got involved with Peninsula Energy? Well, I've been in the uranium industry uh, as a producer and, and project developer for you know many, many years, as, as my bio says. Uh, but when, when I had a chance to, to join Peninsula, I was looking at a company that had the largest scale U.S. uranium development project on the map. 
uh, you know, with over 50 million pounds of resources, this was a project, uh, the Lance project, that that needed some special attention and, and it needed to be done right. I was looking forward to the opportunity to join the company and, and bring this project to its full potential. And so you've obviously got a really great team as well at Peninsula. Um, so how did that kind of come about? Were they already there or did you kind of build the team out around you for what you were looking for? Uh, well, there was a, uh, a number of, of the team members that were, were with us when I joined. They were people that I've worked with in the industry over the years, and I had a great respect for. So that was also very attractive to me to to come into a company that was well-staffed with, with highly experienced individuals. Uh, you know, we've added some some additional uh, people along the way. You know, you see the opportunity to hire somebody that you know is a high performing individual that can really contribute to your company. You don't want to turn that down. Uh, having having the years in the industry that I had, um, you know, I know the people who've worked in the U.S. uranium industry, and I know when when opportunity knocks, uh, you know, who's the right person for the job, and and so today. Peninsula is built with a team that has collectively over 200 years of, of direct uranium production operation experience. They make my job uh, easier. That's fantastic to hear. And as you've said, you know, good people, it's key in business. So if we think about, you know, Peninsula as it is today and also the shareholders, what we found interesting was Sprott is indeed a large shareholder of Penn. But are they going to be more involved on the buy side of your uranium supply? We'd love to know more about how Sprott fits in. Well, Sprott is a is a large and complex um, investment company. Um, they run uh, exchange traded funds. Uh, they have a uranium miners ETF, and they have a junior uranium miners ETF. Uh, the 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 uranium miners ETF holds about five percent of our outstanding shares today, so they are a significant shareholder in our company, and. And the junior uranium mining um, ETF is, is kind of a newcomer to the space. They added that recently. They've built up over 6 million shares of ours and they continue to grow. Uh, you know, that's an investment opportunity for people who really like to speculate with the, with the junior space. Um, you know, we're fortunate to, to be in both their uh, uranium miners and their jun- junior uranium miners ETF. And then on another hand, an- another group of people run the Sp- Sprott Physical Physical Uranium Trust. Uh, that Physical Uranium Trust doesn't invest in uranium mining companies. They invest in physical uranium. They hold about 62 million pounds of, of U308, and their net asset value is, is I think, $3.5 billion dollars right now. So it's, it's a huge, um, you know, uh, physical trust. Uh, they have, uh, they, they've acquired uranium in the spot market. They, they would acquire it from anybody offering uranium in the spot market. And, uh, you know, as we emerge as a, as a new producer uh, returning to production, you know, we'd certainly entertain the opportunity to sell to Sprout in the in the spot market in the coming years. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear because 62 million pounds is impressive and you have, you know, up to 50 million to offer as well. So if we turn our attention to your peers in at least the Australian market, Peninsula is obviously still a micro cap and still very much growing. Who are your major listed competitors in your opinion in the space? 
Well, in the Australian um, uh, markets, you have uh, Paladin, who has always been one of the big boys on the block. Uh, you know, they really had good timing with the uranium renaissance, and Paladin was one of the darling stocks of the uranium market in uh, in the in the early two thousands. Uh, you know, they're reemerging and hoping to put their project back together, and and we of course we wish them good good luck with that. We also look at at Boss Energy, who is who's similarly situated to Peninsula today, they have a, a a project in Australia rather than the United States, and and they're putting that project back into production. Um, so they're making the capital investments and they're preparing to, to to return that project to production after a very limited production run under different ownership. Um, then you have, uh, you know, a number of, of uranium developers, um, you know, companies like Alligator, who, you know, and, and Bannerman, you know, who, who have interesting projects in Australia or, or Namibia. Um, those are the those are kind of the ones that that most people are looking at today in Australia as as Australian listed pure uranium companies. Okay, and you're kind of probably one of the major players in the US, right? So that's how you kind of differentiate yourself. So let's step back and just kind of look at the outlook of uranium. So what is your outlook on the uranium pricing trend? I mean, are we at the beginning of a super cycle here? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it feels v- uh, very positive. The markets for uranium today are, are wound tight. Uh, supply is very limited in the market. And, and um you know, small amounts of buying activity have significant impacts on the uranium price. If we return back to Sprott Physical Uranium uh, Trust, um, in 2021, uh, they started buying uranium in markets, and they and they really pushed the uranium price in the second half of 2021 from from where it had been stagnant around thirty dollars. They got the you know their buying activity made the, the uranium markets move to about sixty dollars a pound. It came back and and kind of settled in at a plateau around fifty. But we've seen recent buying just in the last month, which has pushed the prices back up into the high fifties, and and so. My outlook for the spot price for uranium is that, um, you know, with just a little bit, probably an ordinary amount of buying activity, and and if Sprott reemerged as a buyer in the second half of this year, it would be easy to push the the price up, uh, you know, conceivably double. But I think seventy dollars a pound is it is a pretty easy and reasonable mark uh, before the end of the year. Wow, yeah, because there is such a supply shortage, right, of uranium. So it makes sense, right? Your basic economic principle: supply and demand. There isn't enough supply to meet demand. That's right. Um, you know, the spot market really tightened up after Sprott came and bought uh, what was almost 40 million pounds um, in late 2021 and early 2022. Uh, you know, their buying has been been has has been off lately. Um, but but if the the market's put them in the presence and, and the ability to buy again, like I said, you know, they can really significantly impact the markets to the upside and they don't sell. 
uh, they don't sell the material that they buy. They have, it's a buy and hold strategy, so they they don't have a, a impact to the downside. So on that, I just want to pick up on that. You mentioned that Sprott obviously is very influential in the price, and your prediction is you know up to seventy um, pounds in pricing, which is a great outlook. Why have they stopped? Is it a capacity thing? Do they, as, as you're saying, they're not selling? So why are they currently you know on hold? Well, they need new money to buy. Um, right. And, okay. and you know, when when they have uh, the situation where their uh, net asset values exceed their market cap, they don't have inflows of money. But when their market cap is exceeding their net asset value, they can issue new shares and, and, and they promptly turn around and buy in the spot market. So it's just a matter of getting them from being a little upside down to, to right side up and buying again. Yeah, capital. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for clarifying. So back to Peninsula, how is your extraction of uranium different from other uranium companies out there? Well, we do use a, a process called in situ recovery. And for people who are comfortable or familiar with mining, you know, you normally think of open pit or underground mining technologies. Uh, we do neither. We, we don't dig a pit and we don't go underground. Uh, we drill water wells and we pump fluids across a, for, a sandstone formation um, and those those uh, fluids are, are modified to effectuate the, the dissolution of uranium. We dissolve uranium into the solutions as it passes through the formation and then we recover that uranium bearing solution. So water is our miner. We send water underground and it collects the uranium and brings it to the surface for us. Uh, then we use a process plant to recover the uranium and, and create yellow cake. But uh, fundamentally, as a mining company, we don't have much in common with other mining companies. We're a, a water treatment company. We do a lot of hydrology and, and geology. But uh, the other thing that differentiates Peninsula from its U.S. peers in the in situ recovery f uh, field is that we've moved to low pH chemistry. Uranium can be dissolved in multiple ways. Um, it, you can dissolve it in an alkaline solution, which is generally like a higher pH, neutral or, or even a pH of 8. And, and you can dissolve it in a, a low pH solution like a lot of other metals. Um, the low, low pH solution to us seemed to be the right, right answer. And uh, we've moved to that and we're the first U.S. company to do so. Can you explain if the process that you do, is that better for the environment, like on an ESG factor. Yeah, the the other benefit of uh, the in-situ recovery um, methodology is, is really that we don't have uh, or leave residual um, mill tailings piles or, or open pits or, or pit lakes. Uh, you know, we're able to reclaim uh, and restore the groundwater after we're done mining, returning it to its uh, baseline usage, you know, so, so that how the water could be used before we came it's the same way it could be used in the future and then we're also be able to release the surface back to its natural use so at the end of the day um you know, we we return the lands to the landowners, and and they go back to grazing cattle, um, raising crops, whatever it was that that the surface was used for in the past. So, um, it, 
in situ recovery has a real uh, environmental advantage in that it's a very low impact way of mining and and it doesn't have doesn't leave legacy sites when you're done wow that's really interesting and from a financial perspective is it a cheaper way as well absolutely it takes far fewer people to run an in-situ recovery mine compared to an underground or open pit mine. Uh, and that is an economic advantage. Yes. Uh, you know, our major costs are our electricity to pump water and chemicals to modify the solutions. Um, so, so yes, as a rule of thumb, in-situ recovery um, is, is far more economic, especially on the lower-grade uh, deposits that we tend to work. Um, sandstone deposits tend to be generally lower-grade uranium deposits, and we can economically extract uranium from lower-grade deposits um, than is what's required for the open pit and underground mining methods. So really, you're uh, ahead of the game when it comes to the environment and economically as well. Now, we know that your Lance projects are actually the only US-based uranium projects authorised to use the low pH process. So what position do you think this puts Peninsula in moving forward? Well, the low pH process is really uh, proven, um, you know, in Australia, the the in situ recovery mines use the low pH chemistry in Kazakhstan, the world's leading producing nation of uranium. They use low pH in situ recovery. You know the the bottom line is the Kazakhs lead the world in low cost uranium production using low pH in situ recovery. So um, for us, we have gone about proving that we can get higher overall resource recovery from our deposits using the low pH. Uh, chemistry, and we can do that at a faster rate. Uh, uh, we can recover more uranium in a shorter period of time. That gives us a better return on our capital investments and well field developments, and and you know really effectively gives us a, a, a very competitive cost environment to work in. So that's why we moved uh, from the alkaline chemistry, which the project was initially built with, uh, to the low pH chemistry, which we're restarting the project at today. Now, we know the Biden administration acknowledges the huge need to transition away from Russian nuclear fuel supply. So this is a really huge driver for Peninsula, really right place, right time. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk more about the future growth potential of Peninsula Energy. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So we've asked this previously, however, I think it's really beneficial for our listeners as I think a lot of people and investors out there don't truly understand the benefits of uranium and are still hesitant on the investment in the space given the fears of nuclear power. Thank you, Homer Simpson. So why do you think there's still this misconception out there? Well, uranium, no, let me rephrase that, nuclear 
technology has been used as as a weapon of great fear in in global warfare. Um, but when properly done, um, using nuclear and harnessing it for peaceful purposes, um, what you, what you result in is a, is a very safe and environmentally friendly way to generate electricity. Uh, you know, the the electricity generated from nuclear power plants is is carbon free. So um, we're really seeing a, a huge turn in sentiment towards nuclear energy as a means of of addressing um, the climate change concerns that that many many people have, and 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 a, and a bridge to. Um, giving us a reliable baseload energy at a, at a reasonable cost. So, you know, I think the, I think the past uses of nuclear have left uh, fear, uh, residual fear in, in uh, people's minds. Um, but the minds are opening today to, to the potential outcomes of, of what the world could look like if we utilize more nuclear energy and less fossil fuels. Yeah, I really think it comes down to Homer Simpson and Mr. Burns really put everyone, um, you know, got everyone the wrong picture of nuclear power. All right, so Wayne, let's talk money. So we know that Peninsula is approaching its biggest milestone to date with operations at the Lance on track to commence in mid-year 2023, so very soon. Now, to date, CapEx requirements for the construction activities at Lance has tracked with their 2022 DFS projections with the restart funded through current cash, uranium inventory holdings and contracted future sales. So what is the future growth potential of Peninsula Energy on the global scale revenue wise? And then additional question to that, who are your existing offtake contracts with for Q4 of this year? Okay, so um, really, uh, for us, uh, our project today uh, was built capital efficient when it was built in 2015. And by that, I mean, uh, they didn't build the full production facility that they licensed for. We have the opportunity and a license to, to produce up to 3 million pounds per, of uranium per year. We currently have a facility that's built for around 800,000 pounds per year. So we're getting that up and running. And immediately we're going to start evaluating the expansion of that production rate to, to bring it probably closer to 2 million pounds a year. Our feasibility study in 2022 pointed us in that direction, that 2 million pounds a year is a sweet spot where we gain the economies of scale and production and we can really bring home and deliver the lowest uh, uranium production costs. So for us, the opportunity at Lance, um, our flagship property, is to get that project up and running first and then bringing it up to a 2 million pound per year plus uh, production rate. With a 50 million plus pound resource already defined, uh, we have a long, long operating life at 2 million pounds a year. So, you know, really, you know, the sky's the limit what what we can do once we're up and running but you know two million pounds a year 50 million or fifty dollars a pound current market price it's a what a hundred million dollar a year gross revenue company now the second question you asked was who's our customers um you know and of course you know when you're dealing with nuclear utilities that those are the buyers of uranium um you know we have um both uh u.s 
uh, domestic utilities. The U.S. is really the largest market for um, nuclear. Um, we have more reactor capacity than any other country in the world, so it's natural that we'd be selling to U.S. utilities. We also have utilities in Europe uh, that are in our customer base. Um, they decline to to uh, have us disclose who they are by name. So I apologize that we can't actually name the utilities. It's a confidentiality matter for me. But U.S. and, and, and uh, European utilities, and, you know, if you're a nuclear reactor operator, you're a utility of, of size and scale, very significant. We're moving into kind of a state of de-globalization at the moment. Um, and so the fact that you're situated in Wyoming, uh, it puts you in you know, a, a clear, straight, one leader position, really, um, which is quite exciting, I think, for Peninsula. And I note that you also have no debt, so really a strong balance sheet. Yeah, our balance sheet was uh, you know, required for us to make this decision to re- return to production. We wanted to make sure before we said we're going ahead that we had the funding to carry us forward. So the debt-free $26 million of cash at the end of the last quarter and a uranium inventory that presently is valued around $12 million U.S., um, you know, are all strengths for us uh, in moving forward with, with the decision to, to resume uranium production. So that's Lance in a nutshell in terms of where you can see the run rate, you know, easily in the next 12 to 24 months. Let's talk about other projects and other growth opportunities for Peninsula in more detail if we can. So firstly, starting with Ross then Kendrick and Barber. And side note, love these names. Is there any story to them? There is. Um, well, each of them um, is a respect uh, for for a former governor of the state of Wyoming. Ah. Uh, Nellie, Nellie Taylor Ross was the first woman governor in the uh, United States. We love that. Uh, and she, she happened to represent. She happened to represent the state of Wyoming as governor. Uh, and also Kendrick and Barbara were, were past governors of the, the state of Wyoming. So there's the history. Uh, the Lance Project, um, which we've talked about, is really uh, um, the Lance Projects, okay. uh, plural. And, and the Lance Projects are Ross, Kendrick, and Barbara. Um, Lance is a very significant district scale um, collection of projects. The Ross project is our current production area. Uh, it's probably the smallest in area, but but that's the area that the company uh, focused its its regulatory efforts on on permitting uranium production. Um, and it has the first couple of mine units that the company is developing for mining. Um, Kendrick is our development project. Uh, it's contiguous with Ross and it mostly surrounds the Ross project. Uh, but we're preparing Kendrick now for future uh, production. It is the pipeline project that Ross will move to. Yep. Um, the Kendrick project uh, has uh, been, uh, we have recently, uh, at the end of last year, submitted uh, license amendment applications to include Kendrick into our production area so that we have that licensed long before we actually need it. The Ross project production will last for a couple of years. Kendrick's licensing should take a year and a half 
maybe two years at the outside. You know, so we'll have that development project ready for production um, following. And then the Barber area is the largest area. Um, it's our exploration project. It has over 30 million pounds of inferred resources. Um, they're inferred because the drilling spacing on the area was wide-spaced. And in order to upgrade the resources to measured and indicated quality, we have to go back in and drill closer. And we're likely to uh, um, you know, expand the resource as we upgrade it. That was our experience at Kendrick and Barber. The, geolo- the geological team at, at Peninsula has assessed the exploration potential of the Barber project at 104 to 160 million pounds. Wow. So today we're a 50 million pound project. And the, the potential with additional investment and exploration is in- enormous. I just want to also ask a question on the risk side of things. You mentioned that the licensing takes, you know, anywhere for a year and a half to two years. What's the process behind that? What can go wrong? What can hold you up there to, you know, put these catalysts on hold? Well, there should be little doubt. Um, The Lance projects are located in the state of Wyoming, and the state of Wyoming is a tier one mining jurisdiction. Uh, We have, you know, coal mining, uranium mining, trona mining, bentonite mining, and the state of Wyoming is self-regulated with respect to to oversight of uh, uranium mining within the state boundaries. So we have a very efficient uh, permitting process. Um, You know, what the risks are is, you know, is is really... You know, it's kind of hard to say we've had such smooth sailing on our permitting fronts that, you know, we we think that, that, um, you know, the future, that should continue. Um, The nation is embracing a move back towards, um, you know, producing our own minerals, our own critical minerals, the the minerals that we rely on. And and uranium is no different. Um, You know, our country consumes more uranium than, than any other nation in the world for the generation of nuclear power. And yet, over the last you know five to ten years, we've produced only a very small fraction of what we need as a country. So, you know, there's growing support within the United States. You mentioned the Biden administration and the focus on domestic production of nuclear fuels. Uh, that's going to trickle down to uranium, which is the feedstock for nuclear fuels. Um, you know, we feel very good about our opportunities here in the state of Wyoming and in the U.S. as a whole. Yeah, it is very exciting. So there seems like there's some really huge upside potential here for Peninsula that hasn't actually really been priced into the market. Uh, so here, we want to start asking you about the generation of carbon-free electricity. I mean, where is the growth in nuclear happening the most, in your opinion? Well, you know, in in nations, um, you, the United States is not growing quickly on nuclear generation. We do have two new very large-scale nuclear reactors um, scheduled to go into commercial operations soon. Uh, The Vogel uh, Vogel 3 reactor is supposed to be starting in in, um, July now. And, and the, the Vogel 4 uh, later this year. Uh, so it's kind of an exciting time on the large-scale reactors. But in the United States, the real growth potential, I think, and globally the growth potential is going to be in the small modular reactor space. Uh, small modular reactors fill a niche that, um, that the big reactors don't. Uh, you can drop them in, you know, and, and 
and power a remote community, a remote mind site. Um, you know, you can float them uh, and 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 have them transportable. They have micro reactors under development that you can transport on the back of a, a semi truck on a trailer. You know, down the road to where it's needed. Where you know that type of power generation um, it was not conceivable. Um, you know, a couple of decades ago, everybody was just building these very large scale nuclear power plants at very big uh, capital cost numbers. And, and you know, it takes five to 10 years to get those permitted and built. Um, so, so today the growth potential in the U.S. is really on the small modular reactor side. And the state of Wyoming is going to lead the way. We have been selected as the site of the Terra Power uh, demonstration uh, plant for, for the uh, natrium reactor. So the and that natrium reactor, interestingly, is going to go into uh, the location of a coal-fired power plant, which is being um, uh, retired. So we're going to replace a coal-fired power plant with a small modular reactor in the state of Wyoming. Very exciting times around the world. China's building nuclear. Uh, India's building nuclear. Uh, countries are re-embracing nuclear um, where, you know, they had originally intended to retire nuclear uh, power plants, um, you know, in the wake of Fukushima. There's been a whole lot of reconsideration and, and now, uh, you know, operational life extensions, you know, 20-year extensions on nuclear power plants. So uh, we've even have plants that were you know, selected for and, you know, retirement and shut down now being reconsidered for use again uh, to reopen a shutdown reactor because it's not been dismantled yet. Um, so it's very exciting times. Nuclear is really catching on as, as an acceptable means of producing carbon-free electricity. Yeah, it really is. And so on the small modular production, you mentioned it's, you know, at least 15, 20 years away and the US is really at the forefront of that, which is exciting. But let's talk to the other markets which you touched on, you know, China and India. We know that they're going to become more important in the uranium supply story. But are they at all looking at small modular now or is that are you only seeing that as the US focus for the moment? China's definitely been involved in the development of small modular reactors of, of their own designs. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, some some would, you know, contend that they actually lead the way. Right. Um, and, and that... that as a nation, you know, governed the way they are, they have fewer barriers to development of, of uh, you know, novel concepts. And, and uh, you know, when the, when the nation decides that this is the pathway they're going to take, they take it. They yep. put the money into it. It's, it's, it's government money, if you will. So, um, you know, China has definitely been developing small modular reactors. Um, I think, you know, in the U.S., it's, it's not... 20 years away now, I think you're, you're really closer to seeing a, a blossoming of these projects within, you know, 10 to 15 years. Uh, you know, the, the natrium ex, uh, reactor example is, is a great one. You know, when they first announced that they would locate that in the state of Wyoming, we had five communities fighting for the right to build it in their community. And, they, and, then, uh, and then, you know, once they decided to do that, 
Um, there were other there were other communities where coal fired power plants were scheduled to be retired. You know, in other states that you know held up their hand and said, "What about us? Can we get one of those?" You know, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen faster than most people would ever imagine. And I think what's going to happen faster than what potentially uh, the layman you know understands in this sector is. China coming into the market full swing, like you said. So when is your expectation of that? Well, you know, China has been buying uranium and, and you know, they do not have a history of selling nuclear fuel into the market. Um, they, their, their history is they buy the, the largest mines that the Western world develops and they send the product to uh, China where it's stockpiled for use in the Chinese designed reactors and, you know, that are being built in China and where China has been successful in marketing them to other nations. They're supplying the fuel. So, you know, I, I look at China as having not a history of selling uranium into the market, but actually a, a history of just being a buyer and stockpiler of uranium. So um, I don't see them coming in the market with their surplus no, that's really interesting. So it seems like it seems like a lot of countries are just kind of stockpiling, right? Which comes back again to the point on deglobalization. So we are coming into very interesting times here. Now, Wayne, we have one last final question for you. If you were to be a uranium company listed on the ASX or internationally, what would you be? And you can't be Peninsula because we knew, we know you'd choose that one. <laughs> well, you know, I love the in-situ recovery companies in the United States <laughs> and, <laughs> and Peninsula being one of them. But uh, I thank you for the question because it, it, you know, challenges me to look outside the box. And, you know, I think this one, this one comes forward. If I was to, to be involved or be a part of an, another uranium company in, in, in globally, I'd be looking at next gen energy um, in a Canadian listed and Canadian project developer. Uh, they have the market cap that's most, you know, incredible. They have liquidity that that's tremendous. They have a monster project with, uh, you know, Rook One. Um, that's like 250 million pounds of of uh, resources. Yeah, they're they're development stage in a very good jurisdiction. Um, they have high net present values and IRR factors for their projects. Very fast payback when they do get the project into production. The downside is a high capital requirement, but their upside is super low opex. Uh, operating costs, which pays back the project really fast. So I'm, I find next-gen energy is very attractive as an investment or as a, as a uranium company. You know what? A lot of people have been saying that as well. Next gen energy, everyone loves it. Um, so that's that's very interesting that you said that. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Wayne. This was a very interesting episode um, and we really appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. What a really, really interesting episode, Candice. Now, I think Peninsula Energy is really well positioned for the next super cycle. I mean, we know that in 2020, the US government began to really invest heavily in uranium mining contribution to an uptick in the share market price. Um, now, uranium really does fuel nuclear power, which actually represents about 20% of America's energy and 10% of the world's electricity. And its use is really growing. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, like Wayne was so great at making a really complex 
process, super simple the way he explained it. And small modular does definitely sound super exciting. So we hope you enjoy that episode. That's in fact a wrap with our conversation with Wayne today, the CEO and MD of Peninsula. Now, before we sign off, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shore and Partners, as always, please note our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, you should go out and seek your own professional advice before you make any of your investment decisions. Today, the date of recording, which is the 20th of June, all the facts based are known at the time. I'll do that again. That was backwards. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. This last sentence is. And just to finalise, today's recording date being the 20th of June, all the facts were known at the time and they may change by the time you listen to this episode. But hopefully not. <laughs> now, please make sure you follow us on at Talk Money to Me podcast for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five star review on Apple Podcast or Spotify and share it with your friends. Now, remember, if you've got any questions or you want to ask us any questions, you can contact us at tmtm at equitymates.com. We'll be back next week. Until next time. See you then. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.